G'day and welcome to the second episode of the Curtin Cambo series of Six Points Coaching, the podcast. Uh, this episode, we get into a few of the bigger topics around what is it like as a junior, what's the pathway from you know your club footy all the way through to the AFL for both men and women, and Kurt talks about that same perspective, but from the American point of view, so talking about how it goes through the school system. Um, and yeah, where the money starts to get paid to the athlete. So it's an interesting chat. We also discussed a few things around the concussion protocol after Alira Lear's head knock in the Port Adelaide game. And then we finish off with our footy tips for the upcoming round. So let's get straight into this episode. Yeah, how are we doing? <laughs> it looks like you're always wearing a new kit each time we catch up. It's good. <laughs> Well, I have to wear them for somebody. Nobody else cares. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry I haven't dressed up for you then, mate. I feel bad now. <laughs> well, I didn't wear anything really last time. I just had the hat on. But, yeah. but you know, now that the demons are guaranteed to be in the grand final, I figure <laughs> might as well just get it all out there. Yeah, okay. Right, I talk it up, eh? <laughs> well, so I guess just kind of start with some what we saw this week. Yep. So I... I had two comments of, of the week. I don't really want to talk about Buddy. Like, Buddy's been done. You know, like, we all know he's great. And yeah, yeah. I didn't get to see very much of him. And I know that you respect him as one of the greatest players of all time. So, that's... Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Pretty much it. I yeah. Think, yeah, and you know, he's yeah very talented. And well, I suppose from a corporate point of view, I do wonder where, like, that he got... He was the first person to get a really long contract for a lot of money. Looking back, I wonder how much people would say, was that a good investment or a poor investment? But I definitely think that Sydney Swans have benefited because they're a non-AFL state and they're a predominantly rugby league state. And Buddy Franklin is the sort of guy that puts bums on seats. So I think that ultimately they would have have benefited from that contract. That that, that is the stuff that I'm hearing on what I've listened to so far is that they they think even though they didn't get the... The ultimate goal of a premiership, they they still did expand their their membership base and and the interest just in Sydney and and New South Wales mm. altogether. So it seemed like a, a benefit, even though people that just watch the game and say if you don't win a championship, then yeah, then it was a, a waste. Mm. So but yeah, so that's enough of that. But I the two things that amazed me this week were. One, Max gone, like, just taking over that game. Yep. But the Tigers are ahead by eight or something, and then just Max gone just goes into an extra extra drive and just does all of the clearances himself and oh, yeah. Is everything. It, so. Max gone's incredible. I think, like, if you were to think about right now in the current year, who's the most influential player? Like, who, when they're on, like, they, they change a game, and when they're off, it really mm-hmm. affects the game. I'd say, yeah, he's probably up there in the top couple because, like, yeah, he turns into an extra midfielder, yet he's the tallest bloke on the ground. And Mm -hmm. so he's like a key marking target for anyone to just pass it down the line and he'll probably outmark anyone. But then he's also smart enough and skillful enough to play on and have a kick and hit up a target himself rather than having to look for a small midfielder and make it so obvious what he's about to do. Right. Like other Ruckman, they always are clunky and they're always like, oh, yeah, where's someone to give me a hand pass option? Yeah, he doesn't need that. He's silky with the ball. And I think there was that against Brisbane, um, he kicked that goal from outside 50 for a set shot. Not many Ruckman can do that. Most Ruckman Mm -hmm. struggle 
anything more than 40 metres, I think. So I think, yeah, Max Gorn right now. He won't win a Brownlow because they don't award Brownlows to Ruckman, but if right. he were, like, if I was coaching against him, I'd be like, well, how can we do what we've got to do to stop this bloke? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he, he's he's insane. The other thing that just wowed me was Taylor Walker, where he gets that one-handed mark and Aaliyah Leah's on him, and they're, like, at 65 or something like that, and he starts to swing to his right, and Aaliyah Leah over-attacks him too hard, so then he swings back to his left and just kicks left-footed from 50. And I was just wondering, like, I know there's a lot of players that kick both sides, but for goal, like, accurately from 50 both sides? Uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that, oh, like, to make it to the AFL, you probably have to have both legs, like, to some capability. Mm-hmm. Um, again, referring to Brisbane, Joe Danaher, for example, he can't kick on his right. He's hopeless uh, on his right foot. I was, I was saying, like, Buddy, does Buddy, Buddy's not kicking goals from right side, right? He's, all, he's yeah. seriously only left foot. I find that the left footers are incredible left foot kicks, but they they struggle mm-hmm. with the right. But people like Taylor Walker, uh, Patrick Dangerfield, you sometimes wouldn't know which one, which leg he uses. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of them out there. Like even yeah, Scott Pendlebury and um, guys like that. They kick both legs and it and it looks really good. And you wouldn't know which one's their dominant foot. And so you need to be able to do that. But Taylor Walker is probably yeah probably the main guy in terms of key forwards like big men who are playing with both legs as silky as a a mobile midfielder. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah, because I've seen it. I've seen it a lot where they're good both sides for passing, you know, like hitting up targets and stuff like that. I just never really noticed it on a big, long. Yeah, just, I think, like, yeah, I think Jason Ekimanis, um, he used to play for the Brisbane Lions as well, but he was probably the main guy that you could see him kick left and right foot. He could do drop punts from the boundary line where other people would have to snap it and he could just slot it left and right boot. Both feet, like, mm-hmm. no worries. He could kick from outside 50 with left and right. Like, he was insane. He's probably the best I've seen, but obviously I'm coming from a Brisbane fan perspective. Right. But I genuinely can't think of anyone else who was as good. Maybe Sam Mitchell, when he was playing, he could kick both feet really well. But he wasn't as much of a big goal scorer like Tex Walker. But I don't know if you've seen the video where it was the the camera angle behind Taylor Walker when he does this that goal you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. And it shows how he comes out to the right. He lifts his right hand up as if he's about to drop it. And then he just twists right. his wrist to not drop the ball. And Aaliyah right. is going for the smother. And then all mm-hmm. he does is the exact same thing with the left. And he's so balanced, brings his right mm-hmm. arm out for balancing. And he just drops it so smoothly with his left and creams it, obviously 50 metres. But it was still, it was not, not going to get touched on the line. So it must have gone 60 right. metres. Like, right. Incredible kick. Mm-hmm. It's silky as yeah, and like to be fair, Taylor Walker has had probably a, a five-year period prior to this year where he's struggled. Last year he was seeing some good signs, but yeah, since the Adelaide Grand Final that they lost against Richmond until now or this year, Taylor Walker and a lot of those guys that like Rory Sloan and I'm hardly heard of them since. Where yeah, Taylor Walker right now is looking as good as he did back then and. I'm glad that he signed on a contract extension because I think he's proven that he's still got a few years of good footy in him if the environment right. and the team is good enough for it, like to keep him there. Right, yeah. So 
So they won in 2017 and then lose in 2018? or No, so Adelaide made the grand final in 2017, but they lost to Richmond. And then immediately prior, like in their pre-season training, the footy camp that they went on apparently was quite controversial when they you know, did silly things like played the Richmond song all the time to try and like make them, you know, get the blood boiling and make them really mm. energetic for the season when really it just got them really pissed off. <laughs> they lost a lot of um, unity and cohesion within the group. It seemed like a lot of people got really <laughs> angry with how Adelaide uh, coaching staff or whatever tried to um, handle that situation. I think you can read so about all did... that in Eddie Betts's autobiography. I was gonna, so when did Eddie Betts leave the Crows? Did he, he left the Crows to the Blues? Is that Yeah, so Eddie Betts was originally drafted to Carlton and then he did however many I can't remember off the top of my head, but he had a probably a ten year period or more at um, Carlton and was at Adelaide for a bunch of years and became it was funny because he was obviously like a fan favourite at Carlton, but then he really became a fan favourite at Adelaide and then mm-hmm. With all that Adelaide drama after the grand final and stuff, he then yeah decided to go back to Carlton, and everyone loves Eddie. So yeah, yeah. During Indigenous Round this year, Eddie was talking about how one of his uh, goals of the year was in an Indigenous jersey that his aunt was the designer of. I thought that was a really cool story. Yeah, it's pretty special. Um, I think that one was the one against GWS where I think he rolls it along the boundary line and Mm -hmm. scoops it up and sidesteps a couple of blokes and somehow finds a way to snap it through. Like, it was pretty amazing. All right, so that was my stuff that I saw this weekend. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about as far as what we saw games-wise? The main thing, I think, was that uh, all the top teams lost. Except for this one. Oh, they're not in the top teams. <laughs> um, yeah, so Collingwood, Port Adelaide and Brisbane um, all lost. And like we tipped Adelaide, I think. But, um, you know, knowing that showdown was a, a time for Adelaide to shine. Probably should have thought the same thing about the, the Q clash. Like Gold Coast probably have been planning for that game for a few weeks. You know, it's a, a game that they've lost consecutively for I don't know how many years, eight years or something. So right. they must have been really setting themselves the challenge to win that game and Brisbane didn't come to do anything. And then obviously Carlton beaten Collingwood as well. So it, on Friday night, I think, um, yeah, I suppose like it's just interesting when you look at how the season's gone. If Brisbane won against Gold Coast, which they were the one out of those three games, that was the one that Brisbane like, should have won. <laughs> they could have gone into second spot because um, mm-hmm. Port Adelaide lost. Like to me, it's right. it's coming to a real pointy part of the season. Yeah, the big teams either are getting a bit complacent or they're getting a bit tired. Maybe they're getting ready for a training block where they're about to relax for a bit so that they can peak for final series time. Whatever it is, I feel like an opportunity was missed there by these top teams to really secure their spot like Port Adelaide if they won that one and Brisbane lost they would have made it like you can't catch us we are top two now like um now now the demons have a shot at getting second yeah I don't want them to I don't want them to be in third but I wouldn't mind them getting in second that's obviously yeah exactly so yeah yeah. I just think yeah the, the big teams had an opportunity and they didn't take it and it just means that top eight is now so much more jumbled than it 
it was before. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy how the how much movement there still can be, and the swans can still get back in. And mm, yeah, exactly. Be interesting. Yeah. I guess we want to continue down this track. I did have the the Aaliyah, Aaliyah incident that everybody's talking about the head the head knock, and I was wondering from from your standpoint as a coach, putting the the coach hand the coach hat on of a coach of young people, like how do you see that? And how it was handled, and like, are, how are you thinking of how you want your girls to watch that incident? Yeah, I think um, player safety at junior level is number one. Winning or losing, enjoyment or social element, all of that is second to player safety. So, if a yeah, if a girl has any niggles, I'm strongly advising them not to play because. You know, it's junior footy. It doesn't matter enough. Well, one game doesn't matter enough in the whole scheme of things. I'd rather them get healthy again as soon as possible and all that sort of stuff. At AFL level, I, th- I still think as well, like there's that many lawsuits that are coming up or fear of lawsuits that are coming up. Even though players, I think, they, like if they accept match payments, to me that means they're accepting the terms and conditions of the... <laughs> Of the right. playing surface and the, the physicality of the game um, and that they're entering at their own risk. But for some reason, players or former players are still able to sue the AFL. Um, and you see it in other sports as well with this concussion stuff. My position is I don't think that's fair on the league. You chose to enter the field to play and you knew exactly what you were coming up against and you got hit and that you know, you got to deal with that as far as I'm concerned. So I, but I think that if I was a coach and in the AFL, you're paying those players. I think you just got to follow the protocol of just being like, they got hit. They competed well at the footy, all that sort of stuff. And then come to the bench, do your HIA assessment. And if you fail it, you're off. No questions asked. And if you pass it, I would still be skeptical. I would not put them in a position where I feel like my game plan is reliant on their performance. I would expect their performance to drop. If they manage to still go out there and have a blinder, then cool. But I reckon, tactically speaking, if you've had a head knock, you're going to be at least 10% down on just awareness of the game and all that sort of stuff. And so I would be talking to all the other players. All right, this guy, he's he's not 100%, so you guys have got to lift. Well, what do you think about it? Well, I just thought, obviously, that they both should have just been concussion protocol immediately i mean i know alia alia kind of gets up quicker than than Lockie jones does but still he was he was out and you know his his body went completely limp so so that kind of seemed like what the rule was and if we're taking it seriously then we should just follow this rule but then yeah i was just thinking from your perspective as a as a coach of girls how do you want the the girls to to react to that or young boys, high school boys, seeing that, like, is this what you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be this gladiator that just goes to the bench for three minutes and comes back out after that type of collision. And if you aren't, then you're not really trying or something like that. You know, just kind of... Yeah, I see what you mean. Like, I think there's like there's a balancing act that has to happen for every player because you want every player to go hard at every contest, but mm-hmm. you also want them to be there, available for every contest. Um, right. And so you think if you go really hard at some contests, you might rule yourself out of being able to even attend all these other mm-hmm. contests. So yeah. there is that balancing act at play that you have to be conscious of as a player. You've got to know uh, your own capabilities 
I think in you know from a player, a junior player watching on, yeah, I think that they should probably know that yeah, you're still doing the right thing by competing and going hard. Um, if you have second guessing at all, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. But if right. but I think that they should watch that. Well, yeah, the AFL clubs are on show. They're on show for the parents, especially. The parents are going to say, mm-hmm. no, you can't play footy this year because look at how rough it is. I think right. that's something that they're fearful of, the AFL. Like they don't, that's why they've kind of reduced the contact involved in the game to increase participation at junior levels. But I think it's more about how do the doctors, how do the clubs handle it post-injury that's more important because I think that they're risking the brand of the game, you know, worsening. Yeah, the, the, the way that the doctor decided that Aaliyah Aaliyah didn't need the stat test, that just a, the quick conversation on the bench was enough. And then Ken Hinckley comes out and says, we don't ever risk player safety, blah, blah, blah. And then, what, six hours later, the, the doctor's saying, yeah, I screwed up. I should have done the stat test. And, like, well, that's kind of. Yeah. Yeah, they've all put forward people-pleasing responses at the time, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, yeah, should have followed protocol. The clubs have got to be seen to be doing the right thing there, but I don't, right. I don't want, I want what happens off-field to be done above board. I want what happens on-field to be just pure footy. Like if you yeah, get I hit, def- you get hit. Right. I definitely don't want. It definitely wasn't about like oh, should should one of those guys not gone hard at it or anything like that. It was it was more of how the club and the doctors and what that shows to the rest of the mm. the people about how how seriously they are. So so now that the AFL is I'm not sure if a sanction has actually been handed down, but it sounds like they're probably going to. And they did eventually force the two players into concussion protocol. So Oh, I don't know. I haven't read up on all of that. All right. Well I guess the only other thing I was thinking about asking you was like what junior footy is I remember you saying that you, your parents weren't sporting people. Does that mean that they didn't even like, they had no sports that they watched or yes, anything? Yeah. Yes, my dad couldn't care less about sport. Um, he's only kind mm-hmm. of started following some sports from a very large distance because me and my younger brother love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if a game of footy or a game of, you know, State of Origin Rugby Leagues on TV or something, Dad's like tinkering somewhere, and he'll he'll walk mm-hmm. in and just oh yeah, so our team's winning, and he'll walk off again <laughs> like he doesn't really care. Whereas my mum, yeah. my mum gets quite invested, so yeah, she um she grew up in Queensland, rugby league's a big thing there, so she you know followed it. But then when she, they moved to Perth, she stopped following sport until us boys pretty much you know didn't didn't give her an option really because uh, right. we loved it so much. So mum um. Mum joined in in all of our footy tipping and our fantasy and all of that, and she watched all the games with us and stuff. So she beat us all the time in footy tipping and fantasy as well. I might add. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so at this at this level, so when you're saying junior footy, so what is what is this league then? So it's not because in America everything is high school versus high school. There is no there is like club teams, but that's like secondary. Right. Yeah. You'll do okay. that. You'll do that in the off season just to stay sharp. And of course, when I'm growing up, club stuff wasn't really a thing because specialization wasn't a thing. So you just played the three sports and you just kept on playing the three sports until until you got into university. And if you were good enough at one of the sports, then you specialize. But now I know that all the kids like 
they're going to summer camp doing soccer. I'm a soccer player and I'm soccer 365 days a year type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the way it works here is you're in your, your districts. So it's based on location. You're a, you're a 10 year old kid. You sign up at your local club, which is your local sporting ground in your local shire. If you play that, that is your main thing. You're probably training twice a week and have, have a game either a Friday night if you're a girl or on the weekend if you're a boy. You can play school footy as well. Typically, school footy is very much secondary to club sport because you probably wouldn't train or you might train once and then you just you play your game and it's just fun and it'll only be for one school term of the year. And just be probably term two or term three. We have four terms. And then unless you went to a specialised sporting school or a specialised football school, and then you would do your training as if it was a subject in your in your day at school, and then you play games whenever they do games. And they'd have the specialist schools tournament happening behind the scenes. But you could still get selected um, to play in waffle and stuff through the school system, but it's a lot less likely because... The pathway between clubs to the waffle clubs is a lot more seamless. So, like I said, you've got your local club at your local within your local shire. All of the clubs within that area are part of a district, which is affiliated with a club in the waffle w um, waffle w or the waffle men's. So, for example, we're at Corrine, which means we're a part of the Subiaco district. Whereas another team, let's say. Uh, Kingsley might be associated. I can't remember exactly which each club is associated with, mm-hmm. but let's just say Kingsley's associated with East Perth, I think. Junior Lap might be associated with West Perth or something like that. Then you've got, you're at your local club, depending on what age group you are. If you are one of, let's say, the top three or top five of your team, your coach might be able to say, hey, I think it's worth this player getting an opportunity to play in the waffle programs for their age group. Or it might be a case of the waffle teams coming and having a look and seeing who's out there and all that. But the process there is not like black and white. But simply put, if you are an amazing player and you're dominating your age group, you will be found somehow. Um, Whereas if you're a reliable player and you do your job, but you're not necessarily flashy in a standout, there's got to be maybe a few other things like a coach or someone being your advocate to kind of get noticed. Then you'd go to a development squad, which is like a, let's use Subiaco as the example. They would say an under-16s, you've been talent identified as maybe one of the top two in your team. And collectively, across all the teams in the district, we're all now together. We have a few training sessions or a block of training, maybe two or three a week um, until we do a big tournament over two or three weekends and we verse all of the other development squads. And that, that's, yeah, what happened. So I coached a couple of um, times at Subiaco Development Squad for the under-14 boys um, a few years ago. Um, so that system was all right, but it felt like it was like a, almost like a mass-produced thing. It was more that you were training with players that were just as good as you, not necessarily a development program for the players. But as they get mm. older, they do more development-focused things. Right. Then, yeah, as you step up, so, for example, with girls, you've got that... After the development squad thing, you've got the Rogers Cup, and that is like 16 to 19-year-old girls with boys. They've got development squads, and then they've got a thing called Colts footy, and they're all these kind of just, you're not an adult yet, but you're a highly talented kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you've got um, Waffle W, so it's juniors, Rogers Cup, 
Waffle W and then AFLW. So that's the girls are very easily, because um, there's so little participation compared to the boys, there's only like, you know, a few steps in the journey. Whereas because the boys, they like a huge amount of participation. Like So they've got the equivalent of Rogers Cup from the girls' perspective for the boys would be, yeah, their development squads. And because they've got more participation, they have more age groups at that development squad level. Mm-hmm. Then you'd go to Colts, which is kind of like your under-18s or under-19s. Then you've got your amateurs and you've got your reserves and then you've got your Waffle League. So because they've, they've got so many players, they've... Um, is the Colts level, is that where like the Vic Metro versus Vic Rural or whatever it's called? Yeah, is so... Is that where that comes in or is that... You'd be selected from the Colts squad. So again, it'd be probably top two to top five players from a squad of Colts footy would then be eligible to then go into that kind of like your state under-18s. Um, and adverse like your your big metro big country all that kind of stuff. For example, one of the players that's at Subiaco Colts, who's a student at the school I teach at, he's eighteen. So even though he's at Colts, and then there's still like a couple of levels bef- between you know the other stuff, he was able to get selected for the Waffle Men's because he's eighteen, and they had a couple mm-hmm. of injuries, and they thought actually let's just we can skip us we don't have to just select from reserves, we can skip. And select a guy that we think, hey, you're capable of actually playing up here, and we're going to give you a chance. Things like that. So there's those different so, opportunities as well. It's not like you have to go in this straight path the whole right. way. So at that at that point, the 18 year old that gets pulled up into Waffle, he's got to get a contract. Then is that are they paid? All Waffle players paid or nah? So there'd only be a select number. So you there's the contracted or there's like the you're in our team players and then. There's the reserves and then there's the Colts and all that. Um, if you get called up to play, you would just fill the spot. You'd wear a jersey for the game. You might get asked to train with us, but you're still registered with this original level, like with Colts footy or something like that. So you're not contracted mm-hmm. with them. They can drop you and take you as they need. But if you were one of those top players, they would say, hey, we want you to train with us. We want you to be a part of our team. We can't really... We can not select you to play, but it's not like we're going to drop you out of the system or anything like that. Right. For the boys, I don't know exactly how much money they would be getting, but it wouldn't be a great deal of money. For the girls, Mm -hmm. some waffle teams are considering paying their players next year for the first time, um, like a match fee of, say, like $100. Yeah, so there's a few few things that's going on in play and you've also got like yeah your school boys comp and your, you know the state school teams competing against each other and that gets watched by afl scouts obviously any state level of any competition is going to get watched but if you're a part of the state under 18s that's in line with the club kind of pathway to mm-hmm. the footy um to the afl i think you're going to get watched by more people when you along that journey that's wild. That's a lot of stuff going on because, yeah, and I don't think it's changed much in America as far as so when we're like five, grade five, six, seven, that's all just club community based. We'll have like championships for just inside of like kind of like you're saying your, your zip code, but they're, you know, nobody really cares about it. It's not it's not real hardcore stuff. You know, so you got the Little League stuff. Little League is a little bit more baseball. Little League is more competitive on a national level you can it's been around long enough that you can go from when you get to 12 and 13 year olds that's when they you're considered in the the majors of the little league system 
Mm. And so you're on a, in your zip code, you're, you're on some team. So we had, I think we had like eight teams in our little zip code and then you made an all-star team. So if you're the you know top five of your team, then you make the all-star team and the all-star team goes and plays other all-star teams from the state. And then in some type of round robin tournament or whatever, and then our all-star team for my 12 and 13 year, we just lost in our first game. So we were just out, but if you made it far in that tournament, then you made it to a regional tournament. And then the regions go against each other against the international team. So that's how, I don't know if you, if they show any of that content about the little league world series, the little league world series actually gets a lot of play on ESPN here. Yeah. Right. So we, so that when the Japanese come and play our Southeast or Southwest California or Florida teams, stuff like that. So that's like a big deal, but, it's not quite as big in, in the other sports, but like under, under 16 year old football is like, nobody cares about that. Yeah. Okay, it's, not, it's not until they're in high school. So, but once we get into high school, it becomes a completely different thing. There's not anything out of your high school team. Doesn't matter. Like that's just for practice. High school football is a big, huge thing. And you actually trying parents that are thinking that their kid is good at one of these sports is trying to push their kid to a school that has a good program. So, and you know, which high schools are always good and have the best coaches and all that kind of stuff. So that that's how we're structured. Once we get of age, basically, once we're really, once we're really playing the sport for the sake of the sport, that's, that's where all of the stuff happens in the high school, high schools, then we'll have local regional championships. And then one of those teams will go to the state championship. And then the state championship may lead to I'm not sure at high school level. I think it's just state championships. I don't think they do interstate stuff. But then then from high school, then you're basically recruited as a high school student to get into a university, and then you go on from there. So it's, there's none of this club-level stuff. There's no, no other avenue. It's all high school, university, then, then getting on to major leagues. Yeah, right. And, it's a very, inter- uh, very different structure right. right but i think that by the sounds of it that your stuff is a lot more streamlined i think that obviously you guys have got a lot more money involved in the sport but yeah like i feel like yeah just in general junior footy here is not very streamlined it's quite clunky i think it's still yet to be properly established where it's a, a very straightforward process but i'm speaking about that from the perspective of the player that is fourth or fifth best in their team mm-hmm. they're consistently good but they're not the cream you know so if you want to move up the ranks if you're if you're the top top of every team you play and you're naturally going to stand out and you're naturally going to move up but if you're someone else who's just a reliable workhorse that any afl team would be like actually i want that player more because they are consistent they're a team mindset they're not an individual mindset all that kind of stuff the system, I don't think, allows for them to be picked up as easily. I think you need coaches with good networking skills or already established networks with those right. people to be like, hey, I think you should watch this player or whatever. You need a, someone to be an advocate for you. Whereas, yeah, from by the sounds of things, with it being school, it's obviously they've got to meet their grades and all that still to kind of right. go through. But it sounds like there's clear criteria that makes them eligible for each team, right? Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? I would say so. I know that there there are lots of stories of kids that 
just didn't make it for whatever reason. They didn't get along with their coach, and yeah, then their coach didn't push them up to the university level. So then they had to go through junior college, which hardly anybody makes it out of the junior college ranks to do anything. There, every once in a while, and a lot of NBA level players can get into junior college and and kind of make junior college to now they have like the D the D league I think developmental league where they're kind of playing they didn't go the university route or they didn't make it straight to the league after university so they got on the developmental league but I don't think very many of those kids ever make it into the the main league mm. but I also think they're they're getting a reasonable I think they're making like 30,000 a year instead of you know so like it's it's okay I know that a lot of baseball players are just like I just want to make the minors because I can make thirty five a year. You know, you're bus traveling all over the country, but you get to play baseball and it's an okay wage. You know, it's do it for a few years, have a bit of fun, get paid. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it it definitely like to hear that waffle level. You can't make a a real living at it, and you still you know it's like going back forty years in the AFL where you had to. Yeah. Do yeah. do three jobs on the side or like what ladies footy is now where they're all they have their jobs outside of. Yeah. Well, ladies footy the, is ahead of the waffle in the sense that you're traveling nationwide. Um, mm-hmm. You know, West Coast Eagles might have to still travel to Brisbane or whatever mm-hmm. on the other side of the country. Um, so there's obviously a bit more resources there, whereas waffle teams, you you're driving between districts of the one city. Yeah, and like you look at some of the wages that I've been, you know, reading about in the Waffle, I mean, the AFLW, you know, not all of them are amazing, but majority of them are doing okay, <laughs> considering yeah. what they're doing in terms of the product that they're creating yeah. uh, for viewers. Well, I think in, it was like in, kind of in the last two years, right, where they really pushed it. Yeah, there was a up. 94% okay. pay rise apparently quite recently and stuff like that, like a year yeah. and a half ago or yeah. something. So. Yeah. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like, yeah, American sports has been designed by some very smart people and it's a clear, consistent process. It's like a perfect mm-hmm. flowchart by the sounds of it, whereas in Australia, it seems like there's a flowchart there, but there's a lot of areas that allow players to fall through the cracks. Yeah, ours, I know ours gets a lot of heat in the last 10, maybe more years where a lot of the talk is about whether the universities is that the right route to go, especially because, you know, university football is big, big, big business and they don't pay the players anything. You know, they're, they're filling up hundred thousand square, hundred thousand person stadiums mm. to watch these big level Alabama versus whoever. And these kids are doing it just for scholarship to go to school. So they get to go to school for free, but they're not really going to school. They're just, you know, taking the easiest classes and then playing football and then hoping to get into league. Yeah. Hoping. Yeah. So they're kind of like using up these kids when they're 18, 19, 20 and the colleges are making just ridiculous amounts of money and the, the coaches are all millionaires. And so there is that there continues to be this push to how can we compensate the players so the process has been set up by very smart people, but it's taking advantage of the people that are creating the product. Yeah, that's hectic, really, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we've stretched that on long enough. Let's get into the tipping. Right, sounds good. Well, I guess I wanted to talk. Like, is there any game on this that like excites you from a 
a standpoint of like I need to watch this game, like this one. Like there wasn't a reading through these. I think like the the Sydney Bridge clash again. I think will be interesting, but yeah, I think that one I that one is probably a um it it is a fifty fifty. Then again, last week we were confident on all of our tips. And we right. got a lot yeah, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but just more from more from a like just looking at the matchups. Like none of these are really. Yeah, I think the Colton St. Kilda one's going to be interesting just for how the ladder changes right. because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to the Brisbane Fremantle game. Um, oh, you're going to watch them lose? All right. <laughs> oh, mate. Wow. <laughs> Didn't take you long at all, did it? <laughs> um, right. Anyway, so let's go into the, the game. So you've got Friday night's game is Western Bulldogs versus Richmond. Yeah. What do you reckon? I guess this is one of the other games that's that's good and could actually be a battle. You know, I always give the Tigers a chance to to be a strong team and and fight and never just never just roll over. And the Dogs didn't pull through last week, so I don't know. They I don't think either of these teams really lost anybody big to injury this past week, so mm. I still think it'll be close. I'm just gonna go for the Tigers because I think they have that killer instinct they pushed the demons for three quarters until max gone took over so i think it'll be close and anyone's game to the end yeah i think yeah i'm gonna go with richmond on that one as well simply put i just think they're better (laughs) um than western bulldogs uh saturday the best game of the round apparently (laughs) (laughs) essendon versus west coast eagles yeah i just got bombers by 37 i'm not going to give them the 40 i'm not the I'll still take him for one to thirty nine. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to give him four. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know what Eagles are going to be able to. Yeah, what are they going to be able to bring to the table? To be fair. All right, next one: Adelaide versus Gold Coast. Both teams coming off uh, wins against, you know, top three teams. So, mm-hmm. but I think Adelaide at home they played quite, yeah. you know, exceptionally against Port Adelaide. So that's who I'm going with. Yeah, I got. Adelaide by a couple goals. I think the Suns have a strong enough defense to make it interesting, but I still don't think they're not traveling well yet, right? They mm. still only went at home. Yeah. Yeah, I think Noah Anderson, though, for a big game and Tex Walker for four goals. <laughs> right. All right. Hawthorne versus Collingwood. I think it's safe to say Collingwood. And I reckon, I don't think there's going to be a huge blowout. I reckon it's going to be between 30 and 60 points. I put it twenty three to thirty, but I can't remember if Sicily's playing this game. So <laughs> I give Hawks def- I give Hawks defense, and then I also think the Hawks coach might follow what we've learned about the Pies over the last couple of weeks and have somebody following, have somebody following Dacos harder, and also the not just blazing away into the fifty and letting them get all those intercept marks in inside their D fifty. So yeah, I think that's been the and the keys. Yeah, I think so that's far. a fair point. All right, Geelong versus Port Adelaide. Uh, Geelong home ground, both coming off losses. I'm not confident, but I'm still picking the power by a couple of goals. But Yeah, I think as well, like if Freo can beat Geelong down there, then Port Adelaide mm-hmm. surely can. That's my men- mentality. So I'm going with Port right. Adelaide as well. Uh, the, yeah, the Gold Coast, I mean, sorry, the GWS versus Sydney. GWS played really well last week. What are you thinking? Right. Yeah, I'm and then the Swans also played well to to take that one from the Bombers, but I don't know. The Giants won this game last time by a point earlier in the season, I think. 
Yeah. I'm thinking it's going to, it's going to be right there again. I'm tipping the giants, but I kind of want the swans to win. Cause I want them to get in also. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think giants though for a win. And I think Toby Green for a few goals as well. He's, he's mm-hmm. looking like he's building into some nice form. All right. North Melbourne versus Melbourne. I reckon North Melbourne by a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yeah, Melbourne here, and I reckon by forty plus. Yeah, yeah, I got them in that sixty range. If they decide to try, if they want to actually go for it, I think they'll do the sixty. But... Mm, yeah, they've got an opportunity. Um, yeah, they they need those points to. Assuming the Dockers don't just beat the Lions, they're going to need the points to to get into into third place, and then. Yeah, that's it. All right, Saints versus Colton. I don't even know what to say about St. Kilda. <laughs> but right. they managed to win last week um, mm-hmm. quite well. So where are you putting this one? I got the Blues at 20 points. I know they're scoring recently. Yeah. Maybe maybe Colonel can get another six. I don't know. Who, what is – I mean, the Saints have a good defense, right? They're still one of the top defenses in the league, right? You'd think so. Luke Bruce kicked six goals against St. Kilda last week, but they in a losing team. So, mm-hmm. to me, one key forward can get away. So, Kerno might yeah. have a field day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I reckon you're Carlton by 15 to 20. Fremantle versus Brisbane in Perth. They've got a, a um, I don't know, they're on a sugar high because they managed to do something that no one thought they could do. Against right. Geelong last week, but it's all going to come crumbling down very quickly. Right. Brisbane got a wake-up call against Gold Coast, so yeah, they're going to be putting on 120 points, and Fremantle will sit on 60. That makes sense to me. And the Dockers also, they seem to lose at home. Like, they've lost a lot of home games mm. this year. That being said, I'm still going to pick the Dockers by, by a goal. Oh, vicious. <laughs> oh, man. I think um, if Daniel Rich gets selected, that would be... That'd be good because he's been out for a while. He should be fresh, but he, from all my memories of watching them in Perth, I think he plays well in Perth, like he grew up in Perth. But he seems to always get a goal when he's in Perth, um, outside 50. Be yeah, I was going to say from like 65 to inside the square. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. So hope, if he plays, then I'm even more confident. Then it's going to be a 70-point oh. win. <laughs> <laughs> should be a good one and obviously looking forward to our chat next week as we keep diving deeper into just understanding Australian and American sports, eh? It'll be good. Yeah. All right, take it easy, mate. It's been good. Um, you too. All right. Well, you take care. Yeah, you too, mate. Cheers. Take it easy. All right. Thanks.